Good morning, everybody. Pastor Chad, I felt like over this last month has just been hearing prophetic words. Last week, he started talking about the downward spiral, how America's in this downward spiral, and he started talking about the start of the downward spiral for most nations always has been doing away with the marriage and sexual impurities in the nation. That's always the start of it. I, a few years ago, started studying something that was really odd to me that I would study, and that was the ancient Jewish marriage ceremony, which sounds very boring, but it wasn't. I heard a teaching about a guy, uh, he was talking about the lost coin in the Bible, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit, I won't get into it, and he talked about how we don't understand that because it was about a bride and the coin she had. And it hit me that I just did not know uh, a lot of the traditions in that. I didn't understand it, so I started studying. And uh, how many of you guys know right now there's a big push to say that man created marriage? I mean, it's all over. And they're like, where, show me in the Bible where all this stuff about marriage is. Show me this, show me that. We know God said, you know, one man, one woman. We know all these things, but those are ancient times. A lot of the stuff they say that, that the Bible says about marriage was in the Old Testament, even though there's a lot in the New Testament. But today I want to uh, discuss how we get to this point as a nation to where marriage not only matters, but how much that actually affects our walk with Christ. I'm going to go through this stuff. There's a lot. Like You could probably do a 12-day study on this because there's 12 parts to this. And you can literally break it down. It's deep stuff. But I'm going to go through it quick, each one. And as you're hearing it, you're going to start thinking like, man, in the Bible, Jesus did this also. I can't go through all of them today. But you can study it on your own. You can look at it. Or it'll even hit you as we go through it. And you're going to start seeing that Jesus not only created marriage, but he lived it out. So... I want to start in 2 Corinthians uh, 11, verse 2. And it says, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. And this is Paul writing. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. That's a scary thought. Now, for men, we don't like that we were uh, presented to Christ as our bride or as our husband. And oftentimes, as men, we don't even like the thought of being a bride. It's kind of like, well, I, I feel like I'm manlier than a bride. But the symbolism is where it is. Mike often gets up and talks about how family, the family relationship is very... It is, a, it is a direct reflection of, of the relationship we have with Christ and also the reflection of uh, what God's relationship is with himself. So we need to realize that the husband and the bride that Christ talks about is not the same as what we talk about. It's not man-woman. It is God-believer, God-servant, God-us, God-church. Right? He's not talking about man-woman in this. 
It's a bigger thing. There's actually something bigger even than our earthly marriage, but our earthly marriage was set up in the same setup of Christ and us. If we can understand this, it should not only change our relationship with Christ, because it's actually studying this actually changed my thought process of my relationship with Jesus Christ. I thought I knew a lot beforehand, and I realized I knew nothing, which happens to me quite often. I don't know a whole lot. Uh, I learned that, which is a blessing. It caused me to study more, but it also caused me to be more dependent on Christ. So one thing we could say, even if at the end you still don't understand, if the Bible tells you it's right, it's right. We can trust it. So I don't want to be deceived, and I want us to remind remember that we were presented to Christ as, as a bride. So, starting off, I want to talk about the selection of the bride. Our modern traditions are a little different. You go out and you date and you get to know each other. Even the woman may even go and ask the guy out because the guy's shy or whatever. And there's, there's a lot of things that are different today than were back then. Even our marriage ceremonies, our, our engagements, everything's a lot different now because back then, usually you didn't even know the person you would marry. They may have lived in your village. They may have, may not have. Usually they didn't, um, unless you go way back, and then they may have been your cousin. Which is, We don't do that anymore, so let's not do that. But the difference is, back then was is the... The groom often wouldn't even pick out his bride. Sometimes he would, but the father would be in charge of providing a bride for his son. Right? I'm probably going to confuse those terms off and on, but he would be in charge of that. He would either send out a servant, like we've seen with uh, Abraham getting a bride for Isaac, or it'd be like Jacob going into an area negotiating. But it was always the bride was chosen, was one that was picked out. For the groom. And we look at arranged marriage nowadays as a whole different thought process of, well, that's just not right. Why does the bride have to be forced to marry this person? Why don't she have a say in it? And we'll get to that in a little bit because everybody always has a say. But the difference is back then we've seen, uh, like I said, with Isaac getting a wife, the servant would go, choose the wife, bring her back. And as we get further into that, we see it gets even more in detail and everything. But the selection of a bride was an important thing. And to be selected as a bride was a very important thing because at that time period, there was way more women than there were men. So when you were selected as a bride, you knew you were going to be taken care of. You knew that finally this place is here. So I'm going to go on to the next part, which is the price of the bride. And, and some of these we're going to try to go through quickly because, I, like I said, there's a lot to this word, and I want to try to get it in in time. Even though Pastor Chad said he's prepared you guys for long words, I don't want to be real long. So when the bride was picked out, whoever was there to negotiate with the, the father of the bride, they would set up a price. We think of dowries. We think of the amount of money paid, but it wasn't always money paid because as we see for Jacob, he actually served the father for the bride. As we see with Abraham, he actually gave a lot of goods and gifts for the bride. 
So it could be a lot of different things. It could be set up as service. It could be set up as goods, as gifts. There was all kinds of things that could be paid for that bride, but they had to come to terms for the bride. And if you're sitting here and you're thinking, like, it sounds like what Jesus did. He came to terms for what the cost would be for our lives. He did. It's the same thing. They would figure out a price. Yeah, I want to go ahead and get into this before we get too far. The word for... Uh, for this very thing, it's called mohar, which is the word that uh, means the bride's price. And before this, before they had the word mohar, the woman actually had no value. Outside of the Jewish marriage tradition, the way they would choose a bride most often was a man would see a woman out, caveman-like, grab her up, bring her in, consummate the wedding, the marriage, and they were considered married like we see now. Oh, if we're just hooking up, then we're married. That's good enough. That's what the Bible says. That is not biblical marriage. That is non-Jewish type marriage. That is non-Christ-like marriage. That is worldly marriage. But because of what God said part was that the woman had value, you will pay something to show her she has value. You will show she has value. There was a mohar put in place. There was a value put on her life. And the more somebody would pay, oftentimes they would, like, the father wouldn't see the value, but the other people would. They were willing to pay more usually than what the father thought was needed. So you have to remember that the Jewish wedding says a woman has a value. Before then, they did not. And if you're in a, in, if you look at our society right now, people who are just sleeping around, people who are, saying we're just going to live together to see if we like this, that shows no value. There's no value in that person's life. It's saying, I'm not even sure if they're worth marrying. You're actually saying, I, I highly doubt they're worth marrying. So we're going to find out first, and then if it works out, we'll get married. That's what that does. That's exactly what Jesus spoke against. That's exactly what God designed marriage against. He wanted you to realize there's a value to it. In 1 Corinthians 6, uh, 19, it says, Do you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? And you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And Jesus said we were worth the ultimate price. It was before you knew Jesus, you probably felt like you had no value. Oftentimes, even Christians today feel like they have no value because they don't understand fully what Jesus did for us. Jesus didn't just give cattle. He didn't give... He provides all of our needs. He gave us the Holy Spirit. He gave us a lot of stuff. But the main thing He gave was His life. He stepped down from heaven, which I've talked about before here, is to step down from heaven where we're all trying to get into a life that we all want to leave. That's sacrifice. That's giving a lot. But then He went through everything for us and He... He agreed to pay the price of his life for our sins. That we would be able to become his bride. That was a price. That was placing a value on your life. A value you may not even realize you have right now. You may be sitting here thinking, what, what do I have to offer? And Jesus said, my life. That's what you have to offer because that's what I gave for you. Right? He gave the ultimate price. He paid more than any of us were worth because he saw a value in us.
And it's really, you can sit here and like so far this this just seems like some stuff that connects. When you get in a Jewish ceremony, and I, if you get real deep into the ceremony, you can spend hours talking about it, and it's it's something you can really, if you if you like me and you like to study that kind of stuff, you will you'll get lost in it. But my favorite part of Jesus paying the price was when Jesus hung on the cross, and it was all done. Does anybody remember what he said? What is it? It is finished. After the bride or the groom or his father, and the bride's father came to terms, and the price was paid, you would say these words here. You would say, Kalal, which means that it's completed, or it is finished. So you can sit here and actually think that maybe we add a little bit too much to just the price paid, like, yeah, sure, that makes us a bride, whatever. But he actually did exactly what you would have done in the Jewish marriage ceremony and said, it is finished. It is completed. It is done. The price has been paid. The exact words that you would say at a marriage ceremony once you made the payment. It is done. It is completed. All terms have been covered. So I want you to remember that. When you hear that word, it is finished, it means Jesus paid for you to be his bride. Right? The next step in a in the marriage, and I'm not a hundred percent sure. I studied a lot of different things. This is the best outline I can see of the Jewish marriage. They kind of look like a little bit mixed up a little bit. And Jesus actually lived some of it out in a different order than what the Jewish marriage would have been. And I know marriage isn't always fun. When I was a kid, I I hated marriage, like weddings. I thought they were the most boring thing ever. Now I love them. I get a chance to go to them, and you go to a good Christian wedding, you get to see two people to, like united in Christ. It's powerful. As long as Christ is in it. If it isn't, then you're just sitting there like they, they missed it. But The next thing is the uh, kutaba or the betrothal. And in Hebrew word, it's a kedushin which means the holiness, the set-apart, the consecrated, or sanctified to use for the betrothed. In our society, when you talk about my betrothed, you're thinking of like the engaged or the person you've uh, entered into a covenant with a little bit. But back then, this this is where once that price was paid, it is now an unbreakable bond. The father was usually presented something called the, the ketubah, and I'm probably butchering that word, but he was presented this ketubah to show that, that all the terms that would be in that marriage, so it would be, um, and I, I, I say it's written, I don't know if it was written out or not, uh, couldn't find exactly, some people say there was a document with it, I don't know how it all worked, but the ketubah would show what, the, what they agreed upon, what the price would be to be paid, and also, it would show um, that as a binding contract that you guys went through, right? And we're going to get more in the covenant here in a minute. One of the reasons why a bride, why this was so good for the bride, that it would state, like I said, the price agreed upon and the provisions that the couple would have. But it was also big, like I said, the, bro- the women were outnumbering the men like crazy back then. 
a young lady would actually be nervous that she may never get a bride. If you don't get a bride, you're stuck in your parents' house forever until they pass away, and then you have nobody provide for you. The ketubah guaranteed the bride would always be provided for. The ketubah guaranteed that what her husband had was hers. It made them one. It made them united. And to where before she didn't know what would happen, now she had the excitement to know that she was going to be taken care of. Kind of like whenever you came to Christ and you're like, Man, I don't know. My life's a mess. Who would want me? I just feel like it's always going to be messy. And then Jesus said, I want you. I paid the price for it. And you give him your sins. He gives you his life. And now he promises to take care of you forever. It's the exact same thing as what they were doing here. Jeremiah 31, 30, uh, 31 through 34 talks about the, uh, the covenant that they would enter into. And, and I'm going to read this. And remember, Jeremiah was a lot earlier than Jesus was. So it's really neat to see this. It says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house, house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. So this is a new covenant made with us, with you. How many people know that oftentimes people who grow up in church are living off of the covenant made for their parents? Or maybe that they went through a youth group and they've seen like they are living off of what their youth pastors taught them. Or maybe in children's church they're living off of what they were taught in children's church, but they didn't have their own covenant. They didn't have their own life with Jesus. That's what he's talking about. I'm making a new covenant with you, not the one with your father. You can no longer live under the God or your father. It's now got to be your relationship. It's got to be your marriage. We were once children, then we raise up and we get married. We have to live as if we're that away. You know, Pastor Chad, we love our pastor, does a great job, but his children are going to be at an age where they can't live off of what he did. They now have to have their own relationship with Christ. And he, he's speaking to these very things. And it's, he goes on, he says, My covenant, which they broke, though I was a husband of them, says the Lord, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel for those days, said the Lord. I will put my law in your mind, and I will write it on your hearts, and I will be your God, and that you shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquities and their sins, and I will remember no more. So this is saying no more should you just be taught. No more should you go, should somebody be telling you everything. Instead, you should be seeking for yourself. You should be uh, entering into the covenant on your own. You should be learning how to be the bride yourself. And we're going to get into that here in just a few minutes here. But this covenant... When you make this covenant with the Lord, when you enter into marriage with the Lord, and this is all marriage, this is not just a ceremony. It's like once you start the, uh, once you become betrothed, the part before this, it's unbreakable. Once you've agreed to terms, when you've said, Lord, I accept you as my Savior, I know you died for my sins, 
I give you my sins. When you make that announcement, it's a near-imbreakable bond. And if you break that bond, as we'll see in a little bit, the punishment used to be death or you'd be ostracized. So these are not like the things we do when we come to Christ are powerful. They should have a lot more meaning in their lives than they often do because a lot of times we get saved and we go on living the way we used to live. That's a bad marriage. Just think about if you're married now, the day you got married, if your wife or your husband went off doing what they were doing before you ever got married. What if they stayed in their own home, wouldn't even come to your house? What if... What if they visited sometimes, but they never spent time with you? Or what if they were still out dating other people and they were doing other things? Or for young people that are in here and you're thinking, I'm not married, I don't understand. Imagine if you wanted to get married and you got married, but the guy also had other husbands or wives, as we do nowadays, because we do both now. we we got to accept both lifestyles. What if that's the kind of marriage you entered into? Right? This tells us whenever we come into the new covenant, we have to start learning from the Lord. We have to start spending time with the Lord. We have to get to know our, our husband. We have to get to know our Christ because that's what you do. That's what marriages are about. You know, If you're engaged, you should be spending that time to get to know how to be a better husband and wife for each other. Same thing in this. We enter into the betrothal And oftentimes, we never think about being a better bride for Christ. And with that process, I want you to think about this. If you're a guy, imagine if you had a woman who acted like you did for do right now for a bride, like the way you do for Christ. Or if you're a woman, think about having a husband who acts the way you do towards Christ as your husband. Do you make a good, significant other to Christ? Think about that. Are you trying to get to know Him? Are you becoming the bride that He deserves? Or are we adulterous and out doing our own thing? Marriage, as Pastor Chad said last week, is the reason why we're in a downward spiral. Because we're not being the best bride we can be. For Christ... And if we're not the best bride we can be for Christ, which, as Mike, I said, said before, is a very representation of our relationship with Christ as a relationship with our wives or husbands, we're probably, if we're bad relationship with Christ, we're probably not the best for our husband or our wife here on earth. We're probably not living the way we should be living. Right? And I know this is a lot of stuff we haven't ever thought too much about, but, man, When I realized that I truly was the bride of Christ, when I understood that I entered into a betrothal period, when I entered into this true covenant, it changed my life. Because I realized I was a horrible husband or wife. Wow, bride. I don't want to be a wife. I'm going to say bride because a wife sounds horrible. We have too many men trying to be wives nowadays. But what kind of bride are we? That's what I want you to think about. So I talked about earlier that the husband would go out, or the husband or his family would go out and they'd come to terms with the bride's father. And and we see that even now uh, in places like India and places where they have 
arrange marriages. You're often like, I don't like the thought of that. Just like today, though, we'd seen uh, with Rebecca whenever, I think it was Rebecca. Yeah, Rebecca, whenever uh, Abraham's servant went out and wanted to take her as a bride. When, whenever the servant was ready to leave, uh, Laom, and then Laom, Pastor Chad actually spoke on the guy last week. Yeah, it's Laom. Came out and he said, he, he wanted, when the servant wanted to leave, he said, why don't we wait? And before they would actually go through with the full marriage, they, he says these very things, and this is in uh, Genesis twenty four fifty seven. It says, "Then they said, let's call the young woman and ask her about it." So they called Rebecca and asked her, "Will you go with this man?" And she said, "I will go." They had the option. Now it goes back to what Mike said earlier about Peter saying, "Where else can I go?" As I said earlier, this was a, an, an honor to get married in those times. This was a thing that they knew that this may be their only option to be taken care of. Their only option to have their own family. Their only option to be what they're called to be. It was their only. They had nowhere else to go more than likely. There's a chance eventually some other guy would come along and be like, you're the one, right? But... It wasn't always the case. So very rarely did a girl turn down the option to get married, but they did have the option to say no. They were not forced into the relationship. From what I understand, it didn't always go well if they turned down the option that usually people looked at them differently and things like that. And Kind of like when people turn down the option to become Christians, to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, usually their lives just spiral out of control. And it's that very same thing. This is one of those things that, and I'm not going to get into this, because if you have a problem with the idea that we have a choice, because I know a lot of people believe predestined, we didn't have a choice. Now, mind you, we were chosen by Christ to be his bride, and we had a choice to say yes or no. If you have an issue with that thought process and you believe that we were predestined and we didn't have a choice, I ask you to talk to Pastor Chad, not to me. I don't want to go through it all. But Pastor Chad has a lot of good information on that. So if you have a hard time realizing that you made the choice for Christ after he chose you, we want you to make sure you know you had that option. We don't want anybody going out of here thinking, well, I really didn't have a choice. You do. There's always a choice in marriage. So next would be the covenant. It says, uh, with covenant, the covenant was a lot different. I've heard a lot of great teachings on biblical covenant. I've heard a lot of great teachings on Jewish covenants over the years. When a covenant would be made between a family, two families, there was a ceremony that would go along with that. There would be exchanging of blood. There would be all kinds of... Things. I won't get into the whole ceremony of covenant because that's a whole other teaching. It could take a long time. But when a covenant was made and there was a seal in that covenant, in their options, especially in the Old Testament, the only way you broke a covenant was by death. And you would be killed if breaking that covenant. We know Moses came about with a divorce to break a covenant. But to them, the covenant was very important. It was very, it was binding. 
their families, like two people who made covenant, families became families. So if Brent and I made covenant, him and I would become family. His family is my family, my family is his family. That's right. That's the way we are, right? But that's the way it goes. We're all family in that covenant. Same thing when you make this covenant with Jesus. You guys are now one. It's not, an un- it's not a breakable covenant, or it's hard to break the covenant. And they took these very serious. In Luke twenty two twenty, it says, In the same way... Oh yeah, I don't want to f- skip that part. In a Jewish ceremony, for wedding... For a wedding, whenever you had, like I said, there was exchanging of blood. In a Jewish ceremony, they would drink two different cups during a wedding ceremony. One would be at this point in time, whenever they made the covenant together, whenever they would go through, I guess we would call them vows. The cup that they would drink would be of wine, probably grape juice if you break it down, but the the wine in the Jewish uh, to Jewish people symbolizes two things. One is joy, which you would have if you're getting married. And the other one is blood. So that's where the blood would come in a Jewish marriage was they didn't actually cut themselves and, and combine blood like they did in the old Jewish ceremonies. But they would, in a wedding ceremony, they would drink out of the cup of wine and it would symbolize their blood one together, united forever. So that's why in a Jewish weddings you see them taking drink out of the cup and they throw it down and they break the glass. That's what it was. It was actually a breakable glass in the first cup. And it would be taken at this time during the covenant. The other one would be taken later on, as we know, as people who are followers of Christ, and you may already be jumping ahead, that you know we're going to drink of the cup when we're with Christ in heaven. That's when the next one would be. The next cup would be uh, during the homecoming. And uh, we've seen Jesus do this in, in Luke twenty two twenty. He says, In the same way after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And then in Matthew 26, he says, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And that's, that was a covenant. We know uh, if you study the, the ceremony at the time, they would drink together in that moment. And then there was exchanging of gifts and things such as that. And then the groom would leave and they wouldn't drink that other cup together. They wouldn't drink another cup together until they reunited. That's what Jesus is saying. We just, reunite, we just united in covenant and we will not do this again until we get back together. But back at the betrothal, you're officially husband and wife. You're official groom bride. You were officially married way back then before they even got to the part of uh, the covenant. This is, uh, we're going to talk about the gifts that you would get. So there was, there was always a price that would be paid that they already agreed upon, right? Jesus already agreed upon the price that he would pay, the, the, the paying of his life. But then before he would leave, before the groom would leave, he would give his bride gifts. And these gifts could be uh, monetary, they could be coins, they could be a ring. Today we even do rings. In Jewish ceremonies they do rings. But that came later on, it was usually coins. But it can be any number of things. Some of the things Jesus gave us was the Holy Spirit, was the main gift we got. Shortly after he left, he sent the Holy Spirit. He said, one coming, you know. So he gave us the Holy Spirit 
and multiple gifts that we get to use for other people here on earth. The gifts he gave us were actually as servants. We know that all the gifts of the Spirit came from Christ. There was a lot of gifts that we actually were given because we became married to Christ, right? But when he left, and he said it would be better whenever he left. So hold on to the, the thought process of the coins. Usually what the gifts that a, a bride would get were, and some of you are going to jump ahead, this is actually what got me studying this stuff, was the bride would be given ten coins. At this time of Jesus' time, there would be ten coins that were given to the bride. And the bride would take those coins, and she would wear them in her head, headband. Or wrap them in her hair. Everything you see shows like all these really cool hairdos. They'd have hairdos that look like the temple at the time, or they would look like just some cool shapes. You know, women had cool hair back then, I guess. I don't know. But the, the headband had the ten coins in it. You'd put those ten coins in the headband, and the headband was not to come off outside of your home or in front of anybody else except for your husband. But your husband's leaving, so those coins should never get lost. The coins should never get lost. So we're going to get more to that here shortly. I want to talk about the mikvah. A lot of you guys know what a mikvah is. It's the baptistry, right? It was it was made to make people pure. Women would go in there whenever they were unclean from monthly things. That's what it was for. It was to make things pure. So whenever the husband and the wife, the bride and the groom, would, and part of this is still done today, whenever they would enter into this moment, before he would leave, they would pass through the mikvah. They would go through the water, and they would walk into the water as individuals, as their own life, their own, their own people. The way the bride would go in was she was still under the authority of her father when she went in there, of her old life. The husband would go in as a single person, as himself, somebody who would only take care of himself. As they would walk through the water, completely submerged, and come out of the other side, they would, re, they would come out completely as one. They'd be completely united in a new life. The woman would now be under the submission of her groom, and the man would also be under the to provide provision for the woman, and they would be named one, and he would no longer be two, but they are one. As we know happens in wedding ceremonies. We know God designed that. So that, to me, was one of those things that was an aha moment to me. Because I remember Jesus getting baptized. I remember Jesus saying, no, you got to do this. And I always thought, like, yeah, but you're Jesus. You were already pure. You were already, you know, we die in significance of him dying for our sins when we rise knowing that we're righteous with him. He was already righteous. So in Matthew 3.13, we see he says, Jesus came to Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John, but John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me. Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. Nowadays, whenever they have a Jewish wedding, the woman walks into the mikvah out of the authority of her father, as we do whenever we go into our baptism out of the authority of our old life, and we rise into the authority of, under Christ. 
These very things were what Jesus was doing. He already went through the mikvah for us. He already went into there as part of the bridal ceremony. And that's why we get baptized. And if you haven't been baptized, I recommend doing so. And if you have been baptized, you didn't understand that you were in covenant with the Lord and that you are now under His authority, I recommend you redo it. So you have that thought process. It can change your life. After this moment, after all this would happen, the groom leaves. We see Jesus leave. The groom leaves. There has to be a point in all these ceremonies where he has to go prepare a place. So the groom leaves, which is weird now. Most women would be really irate if they got engaged and then the guy left them for two years. But they, he would have to go and he would return to his father's home, to his house. And whenever he would get to his father's house, he would begin preparing what is called the, I forget what this name of this thing is, a chadar, or a wedding chamber. And uh, Pastor Chad's been to Israel. He can tell you how it looks. If you go to Israel right now, there'll be homes with multiple rooms built on around it. Those multiple rooms are where the families would stay, stay the children and their, and their families would stay there. And so they would go home and they would build a home onto their house. Man, that's powerful. I love that. But they would go build more homes or more rooms, and the man would build a room. He'd go there and he'd prepare a life for his bride. He would prepare for whenever they were together, and that's where they would live, and that's where they'd be one together. And and we've seen Jesus say these very things. I don't know if I have the scripture here. Yeah, in John fourteen two, he says, "In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you." I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And so we know Jesus had left to prepare a life for his bride, to prepare a way for his bride. The One of the things, uh, well, I'll get to that here in a minute. I don't want to get ahead of myself. But we know Jesus is gone away to prepare. We know he's doing the part of the groom. There has to be a part for the bride while the groom is away. Uh, we see later on that, you know, the bride, when you talk about the bridesmaids, whenever they're not ready for his return, some of the things that the, the bride would do would be preparing for a life for a husband. She'd only known a life of serving a, a, with her father and mother. She had to learn how to be a, a bride. She had to learn how to be a uh, independent, not necessarily independent, but be away from her parents, she'd begin learning how to uh, leave. She'd be transitioning her life away from her old life into her new life, which is the same thing we're supposed to be doing now, that we should be getting rid of our old life and starting to live for our new life. I've heard it said many times, some people are so heavenly uh, oriented that they're no earthly good, and I don't think that's possible. I think if you are prepared for your life in heaven and you're living for your life in heaven, you should be more of a blessing here on earth than anywhere. I think it shows. That's what we're called to do. We're called to prepare ourselves as the bride of Christ. We should be preparing right now to live with Him forever. But sometimes you say, what if Jesus came back today? Would you be ready? And people are like, I don't know. Well, you better get ready. This is what we're supposed to be doing right now is preparing ourselves to live with Him forever. 
One of the things is uh, pretty neat about this. It didn't happen often or all the time, but often it would happen that whenever the groom would leave, right? Whenever he would go to prepare away, he would leave his groomsmen, one of his groomsmen behind, which I think is where you get the concept for best man. He would stay behind and he would help prepare her. So like when she needed help with things, he would be there whenever, uh, if there was gifts or something that he was supposed to give at the time, he would do it. Anything she would need help with, he would be there, and even to uh, constantly remind her of, of the coming of the groom. Which is also something you always seen with the rings and things like that, the gifts he would give earlier. The gifts were always was kind of like if you got engaged, the engagement ring was not the valuable part. The, the valuable part of being engaged was that it always showed you that you were, you were dedicated to that person. Right, So all this stuff that we do, all the gifts, even to the person that stays behind, is there to remind us of who we belong to. Sometimes we get distracted by the person who's left behind to help us, or we get distracted by the gifts that we've been given, and we forget that all that stuff's supposed to point us to Christ. Some people are so so spiritual-minded, so fit, wanting to do everything in the Holy Spirit that they forget about Jesus. You see them just like, oh, the Holy Spirit this, Holy Spirit that. Holy Spirit's here to point back to Jesus. So if Jesus ain't a part of what's going on with the Holy Spirit or with the gifts that you're being giving, then they're probably not from Jesus. So always be testing everything you're doing, everything you have going on. If it doesn't point to Jesus and it's not the Holy Spirit and it's not from Jesus, it's not part of the, the betrothal. John 16, uh, 7, it says, But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And that's always a pretty powerful uh, scripture because we know the Holy Spirit was left here so we would never be alone. And some people say that was for a time period and that that the speaking in tongues and everything's for a time period, but I honestly do not believe that God waited 4,000 years to make a, a bridge between, to bridge that gap between us and Christ and, and, and for that relationship to be made whole to leave us alone. I believe He left the Holy Spirit here to help remind us of who He is so we would never be alone. So when somebody tells you that that was for a time period, you can tell them that's probably not true because it wouldn't be biblical. And they could try to find it biblically, it would be really hard to do. You go on down to verse 13 in John 16, it says, But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all the truth. He will guide you into the new way of life. He will not speak on His own. He will speak only what He hears, and He will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify Me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. That same helper that you would have that would stay behind would often be running letters back and forth from the bride and the groom, giving messages so she would know, hey, I'm, you know, it's getting closer. Hey, I love you. Hey, uh, I can't wait to be with you. These very things were the same things that would be going back and forth the whole time. And the Holy Spirit does that with us, with Jesus Christ. Everything He's speaking to us should always point right back to Jesus. One of the biggest parts that we see after that is that there'd be a consecrated bride. The, the wording here is pretty unique. It's kala, 
is the word here. Uh, it means the Jewish bride, and it also means the enclosed one. It means that she was set apart. She was be left alone for herself, right? And in Song of Songs, uh, chapter 1-5, we've seen that, that the, it says that the bride has dove eyes, dove's eyes, and, oh man, I always like that part. The, the dove eyes, if you ever know, doves mate one, with one other mate their whole lives. If, that other, if their mate dies, that's it. I don't know if it's true, but I've been told that once the the uh, the mate dies, the the uh, I guess I don't know, the other one, the the significant other of the dove. I don't know when it dies. They say oftentimes the other dove dies shortly after. I don't know if that's true or not. But to have dove eyes means you are focused singularly on your one groom, on your one person, and uh, I don't think. I don't believe it's just happenstance that the symbol for Holy Spirit is usually the dove. And we have those eyes of the Holy Spirit. We will always be looking at our significant other. We'll be always looking at Christ. I don't think it's ironic that it's dove eyes and song of songs, and then the dove is the one that would be sent to help us stay focused on Christ. So whenever, whenever Jesus would leave, we were to be set apart for him. And as I told you before, that part of the gifts that would be given when the when the uh, groom left were ten coins that would be worn in the headdress. And in Luke 15, we see these coins. This is what got me searching all this stuff. And these ten coins, the value of these coins, oftentimes people are like, oh, they must be really valuable because when we read in Luke 15 and she's searching everywhere for coins, they sound like expensive coins because she rejoices, calls her friends and said, I found these coins, right? I'm going to read this and we'll get to this. And this is right after the lost sheep. So Jesus is actually talking about um, how the Lord looks at you, how he rejoices when you're found, how... Now, if you're lost, he'll search for you. And then it goes right into the prodigal son. And they're all three of those uh, parables are the same teaching. They weren't, there weren't spaces between them just because they're headings. They were all the same teaching. But it said, or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, search carefully until she finds it? When she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels over God, of God over the sinner who repents. I've, I've always read this and I understood that the coin was me, but I never understood why a woman... We call everybody together and rejoice that she found a coin. It never made sense. I'm like, who cares? Who cares if you lose a coin? I don't know any of us that lose a quarter that are going to go home, tear our whole house apart, try to find a corner quarter, and then call everybody in the church and say, come celebrate with me, I found my quarter. It didn't sound relevant. Jesus said it, so it had to be powerful, but I didn't understand it. And even the 10 coins that were left had a value of 16 cents apiece. So she lost a coin that was worth 16 cents. Maybe 17, I don't know. I've seen even less, but it had no real value to it. No high value. It was about that much in our, in our society. But the value they had was, as I said, 
Those corn, that headdress should never come off around anybody else, anywhere other than in your own home. Some people would even say that they even had to sleep in it. I don't know. I, from my, what I understand is that you would only take it off at your house, in your place, where you were set apart in your little apartment area as you're trying to become consecrated and preparing for your groom. So whenever a coin becomes lost, that's reason for divorce. When a coin would become lost, you were seen as an adulterer. So for this lady, a lost coin didn't mean a loss of 16 cents. It meant a loss of her lifestyle. It meant a ruined life. It means, uh-oh, I am not ready for the groom to return. And when you think about coins in that way, it changes everything. It could be a million-dollar coin, and it wouldn't matter as much to her because what mattered was it just ruined her whole life, right? And we often, when I heard that talk from the guy who brought that up about the marriage thing, it threw my whole mind in the whirlwind of, wow, I did not know that. And he began pointing out that, and it was Heath Adamson that had that. If you ever get a chance to listen to Heath Adamson, he's a million times smarter than me. He's, uh, he's now the director of International Convoy of Hope or something like that. But he talked about it. And what are those things in our life that we've lost that God has given us? What are the things that are not right for the return of Christ? What are the things that, that if Christ returned right now today, we would not be ready because we'd be seen as an adulterer or we would be seen as not living properly because we took our headdress off in the wrong place because we, we weren't doing what we were supposed to be doing? What are those very things that, and it may just be one thing, that just isn't right for Christ's return? And when we think about that we break a marriage covenant whenever we're not doing right when we're taking that off, what are the thing? What is the thing? And it may just be one. For some people, it may be ten. I don't know. But we have to be reminded that there's some things that mean more than what they mean. Some things we do look small, but when we look at our heart, they're huge. They have a great value. And those are the things we need to be paying attention to in our life that are we really set apart. Are we really ready for the return of Christ? Are we, are we guarding ourselves the way we should be guarded? That's set apart, being holy, being consecrated, means that we are set apart just for the Lord. And I don't know about you guys, but I don't always live my life as, I'm, as if I'm set apart for the Lord. And far too often, it's a daily fight that I'm not set apart for the Lord. But if we live our lives as if we are the bride, we should live that differently. If you feel like you're a good husband or a good wife, it's because you know you've devoted yourself to your spouse. It's because you know that you've done your best to be the best husband or wife that you could be for them, and you try to be the best you can be for them. Not that you would be called the best husband or wife, but because you love them and you've set yourself apart for them. You went all in for them. We need to do the same thing for Christ. He should not be an afterthought. He should not be uh, getting leftovers. He should get the best.
right? So we need to be set apart for Him. Uh, now we're getting, going to get into the part that we all like, that we, we all long for, the part where it's glorious and wonderful, and that's the return of the groom. Mark 13.30 says, But on that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. And I, I like that concept of Jesus is pointing out that he doesn't know when he'll return because that's the exact same thing that would happen in the Jewish marriage. The son would go away, prepare the home to build onto the mansion at his dad's house or the, the big home part, and he would build the... the uh, Little, uh, uh, I can't, hoopa that they would have there. Wasn't hoopa. Doesn't really matter. They, he would go and he would build that place and he would be waiting and they would build and they would build and the father would wait until everything was perfect to bring the bride home. Couldn't bring them home too early because it wouldn't be ready. And if you wait too late, then you got to start fixing stuff up and all that. But only the father knew the time that he was going to send the son out. It usually took about a year or two before he would send the son back to the area. Uh, some say a year, some say two, most just say a year or two. But the exact date would never be set. The son would never know what it, when it was. Just one day the father would say, all right, son, it's time for you to go. And he would send him back. And Jesus said he didn't even know the time. Or the hour. And I don't know now that he's in heaven if God reveal it to him because they're one or not, but I like to think he doesn't know still. Because to me, that's pretty powerful. Oh man, we were in worship the other or in prayer the other night a couple weeks ago, and we got this thought process of how many of you guys here are waiting for Jesus to return? Are you super excited and you get like so giddy and you're like, man, that's going to be the greatest day ever? But what if Jesus is up there waiting? just to see his bride, just to see you. And he's looking at Troy and he's like, man, I can't wait until I get to go get Troy. How much more excitement is that, right? He's up there like, I can't wait. I can't wait. And he'd be more excited for us because he's been waiting longer. And that's the way it was for the bride and the groom at that time. They couldn't wait. They were just, man, it needs to happen. The problem would be is why the bride was waiting, sometimes she would get distracted. She would start being like, man, this is taking too long. What if he forgot about me? Uh, you know, there's this cute guy down the road. And uh, I don't know, even the helper looks pretty good. I don't know. But after two years, your mind starts playing tricks on you. Just like with us, as we wait for our groom, our mind starts playing tricks on you. Is he really going to come back? Is, is this real? Uh, am I good enough? Maybe, I don't know. And we start getting these doubts in our mind. Right as we wait. But he said he's going to return. And he said through all this stuff he's already done for us that we're his bride. Just don't lose the gifts he gives us. Do not fall away. Stay devoted. Stay set apart. Stay consecrated. And if we do those things, when he returns, we get to go with him. We get to go to the place he took, he brought us from, or that he prepared for us. And when you think about Jesus not knowing it and that we don't know when he's going to come and it takes you to the ten virgins in Matthew 25 and it says at the time the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish one took their lamps but did not take oil with them. 
The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was long in coming. There you go. The bridegroom was long in coming. Sometimes we're like, man, Jesus, you should have been here by now. And if you've lived long enough, you've heard a thousand times that this is the time. Jesus is coming now. Jesus is coming now. Jesus is coming now. And you can hear that so much from people that Jesus is going to come on this date or I know He's coming now to where you start saying, like, I don't know. I don't know. You get desensitized to the fact that He's coming. So the bridegroom was long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. They all fell asleep. I don't know about you, but I've fallen asleep on the Lord before. I've gotten drowsy. I've gotten tired. I've gotten even restless. At midnight, the cry rang out. And that's like, you're like, wow, most people are sleeping at midnight. Well, not necessarily the truth. The, gr- the bride would know it would be late at night when the groom would come. It was always at night, usually around the midnight hour. So she knew that it would be later. They were still supposed to be prepared. So it wasn't like that she was sitting there like waiting in the daytime and fell asleep and it was like, well, you were the one that came late. No, she knew what time he would come. She knew it would be later in the day. So it's not like she was, should have been caught off guard. She should have been ready. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up, trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourself. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Later, the others also came, Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. And he replied, truly, I tell you, I do not know you. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. Those may be the scariest words written in the Bible. When he says, truly I tell you, I do not know you. I want to be at that that point at the return. I want to be ready for whenever he comes. And I want to know that whenever he comes, he says, I love you. And I know you. I don't want him to come back and be like, well, you weren't prepared, you did nothing, and now you want in? I don't know you. I knew nothing about you. We're a little more blessed than the, the, the brides of that time period because we have the Holy Spirit that keeps us united with Christ. We still get to hear His voice through, through the Holy Spirit. We still get to be one with Him, and we have... We get to know. We have a whole book about him. They didn't have a book about their groom. They didn't get to know him personally. We get to actually know Jesus personally before he comes. But I don't want to get to that point that when he comes, and I still don't know anything. It goes back to that whole thought process of you can't follow the God of your fathers. It's got to be the God of you. You can't make it in on what your family's done. You can't make it in on what a pastor does. You can't make it in on what your friends are doing. It has to be a real relationship you have with Christ. The five foolish virgins tried to make it in on the five wise virgins. They could not do it. 
There wasn't enough there. It had to be personal. It had to be themselves. And nobody wants to be the one that says, truly, truly, I don't know you. If that don't scare you, I don't know what does. And you're like, well, we don't, we don't live in a spirit of fear and we shouldn't be scared. We have a fear of the Lord and we have a fear of being without the Lord. That's a healthy fear. It's a healthy fear that you don't want to hear those words. And it's arrogant to walk around saying, like, I'll never hear those words. But instead, we should humble ourselves and constantly seek the Lord and ask Him, where am I wrong? What is the coin that I've lost that keeps me from being with you? What is it in my life that I'm not ready for? How do I get my oil refilled? What am I missing? And we should constantly be asking that. And you know what's going to happen? He's going to tell you something, and you're going to work on it. Then you're going to go back, and you're like, Lord, I worked on it. Is there anything else? And he goes, yes, you got this. And there's always something to work on to be the best bride we can be for Christ. And we should want to be the best bride we can be for Christ. I like the thought process that I can get to heaven and we can just hang out and I'm, I'm ready and I know him, not as well as I should probably, but I can get up there and we already have this relationship, kind of like, you know, friends from school when you were a kid and then you would hang out afterwards. It was not like your other friends, but it was you still already had built that relationship some and then you get together. That's what I want. I don't want to get up there and be like, oh, who's the new kid, Right? I want a great relationship with Christ when I get up there. I want to be the best I can be. Uh, when the groom returns, this is called the. Uh, this is where we talk about the home taking and the hoopah. When the groom returns, they uh, they will enter the hoopah, which is called the marriage covering. This is usually a tent. Uh, at times, it would be uh, they would use a prayer shawl. They'd hold up a prayer shawl. They would enter in underneath it. At this point in time. Um, they would be separated. The bride and the groom would be separated, right? And it. Uh, let me make sure I didn't skip this part yet. I didn't put it in the notes. Between the point of the return and the home taking, what would happen would be was they'd be they would start to return, but they would enter into uh, the hoopah. They would be carried in the hoopah. All the way back, it was like a covered wagon. There'd be sticks, whatever, and they would be carried together, separated by themselves, and they'd be carried away. The very word there would be, uh, which I don't know, why I didn't put it in here, would be called to be uh, called up or caught up, and it's the same word we would use for rapture, right? So they would be raptured. They would be called up. How, how many of you know that the word rapture ain't actually in the Bible? But called up or, or or caught up is, and it uh and it's the very word that would be used here. They would be separated, and then they would be caught up. They would spend seven days together by themselves, celebrating, getting to know one another, uh, other things that I don't know how it translates to Christ, but it'd be a seven day celebration. Seven days. Separated. Nobody else allowed to be in. For us, that celebration will be seven years. Seven years with Christ, getting to know Him, having a great time together, celebrating. This is going to be amazing. Seven years to, to fulfill our wedding, to fulfill who we are with Him, right? After those seven days, the groom and the bride would return 
to their families, and there would be this great feast, right? And that would be the marriage supper. For us, that's what's going to happen. We, we, at this point in time, would have the marriage supper, and it said, I heard. Actually, in the home-taking, in the hoopah, whenever they would be together, that's when they would drink from the unbreakable cup, the silver cup. It would not be broken. They would drink that second cup of wine I talked about before that would lock in the covenant, that would fulfill that covenant to where now the marriage is official and it goes forward. They're no longer just betrothed. They are now husband and wife forever, never to be separated. This is permanent now. There's no, like, there's no backing out. There was no backing out before. Now there's really no backing out because you're together forever. Once you got to the point of that second cup, it was, it was it, they were just saying, this is it. We're now officially one. It's done. It's over. It's it. And then they would go into the, uh, the married supper. Revelation 19, 6 through 9 says, And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give Him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. And His wife has made herself ready. Did you get that? The bride has made herself ready. The marriage of the Lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. This is in Revelation. This is at the end. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linens, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to, uh, to me, right, right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. I want to be a part of that marriage supper. My, go- my hope is, like I'm just thinking of the feast and the ceremonies of Christ, and I think it'd be around the fall time period that Jesus would return. I don't know if that's true, but that's what I always thought, and that's what I hope, and I hope it would happen today. I hope as we're driving home, all of our cars are empty and we're up in heaven. I, that's what I hope Jesus comes, and that's what I hope. The only problem I ever have when I think about the rapture of, of going home with Jesus is I'm always concerned for those who won't make it. I'm always concerned for those who never got it, who who took the name of the Lord in vain or, or what we would call adultery or things like that, those who would enter into marriage for the wrong reasons, those who would enter into marriage not understanding it, which is most people, I don't know anybody who's ever been married the way, especially the way we do it nowadays, that ever went in and be like, yep, it's exactly the way I thought it would be. Nobody's ever said that. Nobody's ever said that when they enter into covenant with the Lord either. Nobody ever walked into the covenant with the Lord and whatever. It was still messy and you're like, that's exactly what I thought it'd look like. No, we think when we come to the Lord, everything's going to be sunshine and roses and it's going to be beautiful, but that ain't the case. We work on it. We become the bride we need to be because how many of you know it's not Jesus' fault when we come to Him that the, there's not a perfect world. There, everything ain't perfect. He was already perfect. There's somebody in that relationship who was wrong. There's somebody in that relationship who came in with some messed up stuff. And that's the one who's got to work on it. That's the one who should be trying to be better for the Lord. You won't do it on your own, but He sent the Helper to be there to help us prepare for our groom. Right? 
None of us are perfect. He never, he didn't come to us and like, hey, when you're perfect, we'll enter into this marriage ceremony. No, he did it all actually before we even accepted the offer. He went through the whole thing saying, I want to be your groom, and one day you'll be part of this. But he already did it all, and we just have to accept it. And then we start doing our part. We start living. We start looking for those things that aren't right, those things that we've lost in ourselves that that when Christ returns, we're like, oh, man, I'm not ready. Right? We start praying for that oil to be filled in us. We start praying that we would be ready. We start praying that in a time like this, when everything goes wrong, we're seeking our Lord. I don't want it to be the midnight hour and somebody's like, oh, man, Eddie, I'm not ready. Can you help me? And I'm like, I don't know what to do. I can't help you. I don't want that to be any of you. When Christ shows up, that's it. We have to be prepared. And we know it's going to happen in the blink of an eye. We know it's going to happen without us knowing. Like Pastor Chad says all the time, it's going to be like a thief in the night. You're not going to bed in the night thinking the thief's going to come into your house and rob everything. Because he didn't last night, and he didn't the night before, and he didn't the night before, and he didn't the night before. So you're not prepared. But as soon as that thief comes in, robs your house, then you're prepared. You're like, oh man, I ain't going to let this happen again. But then it's already too late. I don't want to be the church. I don't want to be the person, the bride left behind. And I know there's a lot to this, and there, you guys probably thought of a hundred different scriptures while I'm going through this, of man, this lines up, this lines up, that lines up. I hope that happened, because there's a whole lot that lines up that Jesus did that lines up with this, what, what we just talked about. But we've entered into a wedding ceremony. We've entered into a covenant. I hope you have. I'm going to ask Ryan and them to come up, and we're going to do some worshiping. And uh, as we're... As they're playing, I want you guys to think about that. Where are you at in this relationship? Did you enter in knowing that you were going to be the bride of Christ? Did you enter in... Some people, like I said, when I was younger and I entered in, I had no idea what I was doing. Just didn't want to go to hell. Lived that way most of my life. That's what I thought my relationship with Christ was, was not going to hell. I did not realize it was a marriage. Actually, I didn't realize the true marriage thought process until a few years ago. But our relationship with Christ should be even more so than it is with a husband or a wife. We should be more devoted to Christ than we are to anybody. Because when the time comes, we're going to spend eternity with Him. And we have to be ready to be that person. So I'm going to pray uh, while we're worshiping here. And if you're not at the point where you've, you've made that commitment to Christ, if you have things you need to work on, I'll pray with you. I know Pastor Chad will pray for you. Mike will pray for you. Anybody will pray for you. Just find somebody if you need prayer. Uh, we'll pray with you. And uh, let's uh, take the lights down. And if everybody can stand. I'm going to pray before we get into this worship. Father God, we thank you. We thank you that you loved us so much that even before we knew you, even before we were created, you were already preparing a way for us to be with you. 
Jesus, we thank you for all that you went through to be one with us, to to be our our groom, Lord. Father God, as we stand here today, I pray you would you would just search our hearts, God. That you would reveal to us the things that are missing inside of us, Lord, those things that need to be there, Lord, to be ready for your coming. The things that maybe we've used wrong or the things that maybe we we've not turned over to you, Lord. Whatever it is, God, that's keeping us from you, Lord, just begin to reveal those to us, Lord. Help us to help us to surrender those to you. Help us to become the bride that you called us to be. Search us today. said uh, before we started Pastor Chad talked last week about the beginning of that spiral of a nation out of control is marriage being obsolete or looked upon as not important anymore and, uh, we're in a nation where marriage is always under attack we're in a nation where most people don't see value in the marriage make light of something that God created like that, we start making light of even our relationship with Christ and our marriage to Christ. When you don't see the value in something, or you start trying to change the way something should look, we start changing the way the relationship with Christ should look. When you start saying it's okay for a man to be with a man or a woman to be with a woman, that's not God's design. God's design was us to be with Him and man to be with woman. God's design was for one man, one woman, one God, one us. There's no, there's no deviation there. And I want to remind you that it takes preparation, it takes work. The bride, the, the bride herself was not sitting at home, being lazy, waiting for the groom to come back. She was preparing. Can't just sit around and say, man, I wish the Lord would just come today and just do nothing. We need to be prepared. We need to be ready. And we need to remember the value of good biblical marriage. And we need to live it out. So I'm going to pray. And, uh, you guys be free to go. Father God, thank you, Lord. Thank you for just taking care of us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for such a great institution like marriage, God, to not only with us, Lord, and you, God, but even through husband and wife. God, for those here who are married, God, let them just honor that. Let them be such an example of godly marriage, Lord. Those, Lord, who who don't have that, God, let them be such a great example of of a bride to you, Lord. Let people to see how much they love you, how devoted they are to you, Lord, and just how focused they are on you, Lord. God, we repent of our ways. We repent for our nation that we were, that we have messed this thing up. And I pray, Father God, that we would be better. That your Holy Spirit would help us through this, Lord. And that when you return, Lord, every one of us would be ready for you to say, I love you and I know you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.